ICE make their biggest acquisition to date, $11 billion on the mortgage electronification play. Strong results from the New Zealand exchange. Meanwhile, the DAX rules are changed to avoid a future wirecard-style embarrassment. Borsa Italiana speculation running rampant and much more. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. We begin this week with worrying news from the U.S. Treasury. The Treasury Secretary Mnuchin is threatening a stock market ban for Chinese companies. That threat to delist Chinese firms may, of course, give a competitive boost to non-U.S. exchanges. Some have even seen it as being a godsend for the Hong Kong exchanges, already seeing an uptick in IPO business, thanks to recent sword rattling between the two countries. Certainly, Stephen Mnuchin, he said that Chinese firms must comply with U.S. audit requirements or face delisting from U.S. stock exchanges at the end of 2021. Meanwhile, as U.S. government was saber-rattling over the Chinese audit issues and more matters of Sino-U.S. trade friction, Nasdaq boss Adina Friedman was noting how, in COVID terms, economically, capital is part of the cure in one excellent podcast with CSIS while also discussing how to solve capitalism, public market access, education and the economy with Kinsey Grant at Business Casual. As Adina Friedman noted, our fundamental mission in markets is to maximise access and minimise friction. During an excellent base of podcasts which were insight-rich throughout, there was much mention of the symbiotic relationship as a sound basis going forward for government and corporates to work together, which also extends to fair treatment of and by supplier companies from big corporates to help the entrepreneurial economy grow opportunities for those companies and the individuals involved. The positivity of Adina Friedman's cooperative capitalism thesis is very sound and sensible. Moreover, I have to admit, every time I hear it or even repeat it myself, that wondrous factoid, the 62 billion message peak on February the 28th across Nasdaq's US equity and options platforms, discussed again by Adina Friedman in the CSIS podcast. That snippet gives me a very warm, fuzzy feeling of how the vast majority of Bourse technology worked so well during the first COVID crisis in the first half of this year. Still looking at Nasdaq, Nasdaq's private markets reported a giddy $1.7 billion in transaction value during the first half of 2020. 29 private company-sponsored transactions were completed amid the pandemic-related market slowdown. Well done, Nasdaq private markets, an excellent work-from-home initiative. At the same time, the flexibility of public equity and bond markets shone through. In the pandemic's first shock, which underlines that while private markets are highly useful and the Nasdaq private market highly efficient, public markets are essential. And we need regulatory edict, particularly from the SEC, to reflect that in their policy and application to encourage public listing. That isn't to denigrate this Nasdaq private market achievement in any way. It's just a bold statement of fact. Private markets have their limits, even when executed elegantly by the Nasdaq team. Over in India, the National Stock Exchange, they've set aside the rather swinging amount, 4,000 crore of revenue from their co-location operation. That's an Indian rupee, which amounts to, gosh, something like half a billion dollars, really? 
from the co-location operations following directions from SEBI over the co-location affair, for which they're clearly going to be wrapped over the knuckles with a swinging fine in the near future. Still in India, Greenco, Lord Dolakaya, Jindal Power are amongst three entities that may invest in the country's new third power exchange. Slightly to the north, Zimbabwe may offer insurance to investors in its new stock market in Victoria Falls. The natural solution for insurance to encourage investors on the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange, or indeed the Victoria Falls Stock Exchange, after recent events, including a government-mandated close-down, would appear to be a big continental brand issuer in Africa. Somebody like Old Mutual would be ideal, but clearly this could prove tricky to deliver, given that the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange was forced to stop the trading of Old Mutual shares, again under government edict recently. And that moves us on to results. Pretty awful results all round from TPI Cap. Just looking at some of the minutiae, they took a £10 million charge after staff took fewer holidays during lockdown. And that, of course, is the whole problem with his business. Too much headcount. Overall, their profits were down by £6 million, with, they said, the market turning sluggish. However, the problem with TPI Cap remains that the interdealer brokers, the IDBs, look increasingly like entities run for their considerable payroll who get many benefits where the market is going electronic. Over at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, profits have increased despite the volatile market conditions. At the same time, it's losing listings. They lost 14 listings in the first half of 2020, and during 2019, 24 companies were delisting, double the number of new issues. Worrying times for South Africa's benchmark stock exchange. The Tel Aviv Stock Exchange, however, they came in with much, much cheerier results altogether. A 26% increase in Q2 year on year in adjusted EBITDA, while their adjusted net profit quarter on quarter rose nearly 90%. Similarly, very encouraging numbers from the New Zealand Exchange for their half year results, operating earnings up 21.5%, and nearly $6 billion in New Zealand dollars, that is of capital was raised by companies seeking to address COVID-19. After years in the wilderness, the outbreak of management in recent years is writ large at NZX. And that brings us, ladies and gentlemen, to deals. And of course, in deals, we have our ultimate headline of the week. Intercontinental Exchange have entered a definitive agreement to acquire Ellie May from Toma Bravo, the private equity firm. It's a fascinating $11 billion deal to propel the ICE mortgage electronification play. Reading the runes wasn't required here. ICE made it clear they saw a path of mortgage electronification and were pursuing it. The largest deal in ICE history, and one which looks further to transform the group, will differentiate it from the competition in the parish, and once again demonstrates the breadth and depth of ICE's ability to think without recourse to any constraints. Founder, Chairman and CEO, Jeff Sprecher, doesn't think in or out of the box at ICE. He appears blithely unaware of the box concept, let alone any implicit constraints. Meanwhile, many have noticed this was the biggest deal in the history of ICE. I would prefer to say it's the biggest ICE deal to date. Furthermore, many have noted that Ellie May was only founded in 1997, whereas I would note that, once again, ICE was only founded in 2000 AD, is acquiring a business older than itself once again. And of course, that portfolio includes venerable assets such as the New York Stock Exchange. Ratings agencies weren't so happy. Moody's and indeed S&P Global Ratings both lowered their credit ratings on the company. 
Having said that, in the current QE-addled economic times, that means ICE's previous cost of borrowing, which was, on a long-term historical average, square root of nothing, is now the square root of nothing plus maybe on a really, really bad day if the US Treasury have forgotten to run their spreadsheets, nothing plus a few bips. Equally, remember, ICE did a fairly hefty round of refinancing in May. They priced 2.5 billion in senior notes at an interest rate of effectively nothing. And indeed, I don't believe there will be any problem for ICE and their CFO, Scott Hill, achieving their target 3% cost of capital financing ceiling, which they announced on the deal call last week concerning the Ellie May deal itself. Remember, their target for Ellie May is a 10% return on investment. Over and above a 3% cost of capital financing, that's a pretty handy increment. So bravo to ICE moving the parish along once again. Meanwhile, back in Europe, it's back to the old days of great power politics. Italy and Euronext may be mulling, teaming up for a Borsa Italiana deal if they're pricing that out of the clutches of the London Stock Exchange Group. Essentially, it's open season for Borsa Italiana, and the Italians don't want to miss out on gaining control under any circumstances. Albeit, I would suspect any Euronext tie-up is more a backup plan than the main aim of the Italian government, which is to seek total control. They are looking at the idea that in a worst case, they could have an equivalent, say, 8% stake in Euronext to the French. But would that really deliver the -the behind-the-scenes control that the Italians would want to seek, given how well France, Paris, the government, have traditionally exerted and used their 8% to control the Euronext empire? and the position of CEO. There was one good private equity round this week, bond platform Trumid. They're the block trading platform in the bond market. They topped a billion dollar valuation in their latest funding round. There's clearly value for blocks in bonds, as Trumid have done a good job focusing on the appropriate customers. It's a very good deal. No news on SGX reinvesting so far. But at the same time, it shows a contrast between where there seems to be apathy over potentially acquiring LiquidNet in the private market in the world of blocks for equity, as opposed to blocks for bonds, where TrueMid are doing an excellent job. Finally this week, EDNF, the man group as they once were, the brokerage arms, have been cleared to float a $1 billion refinancing plan to creditors. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. In new markets this week, entrepreneurs want the new stock exchange in Rio de Janeiro to focus on social impact startups. The proposed BVM12 exchange, as it's currently titled, will comply with the new CVM, that's the Brazilian regulator's sandbox rules. Over in Salon, the CSE, they have called for a settlement bank in addition to their planned delivery versus payment mechanism implementation. And Kazakhstan, the Kazakhstan Stock Exchange, have become the central counterparty to their stock market. If you're looking for some reading, whether you're on the beach, whether you're in lockdown or whether you're in quarantine, one way or other in terms of the holiday journey, we all know COVID-19 can be a killer. But can it kill your career or is that the impact of fintech destroying your business? Don't forget to check in with my new book, Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World. An easy read. 
bringing up to date the 20-year history of fintech as I originally outlined it in Capital Market Revolution, which was published in 1999. It's a binary world. Your career will sustain or collapse in the next stage of the digital world, hence the title Victory or Death, lest you need reminding of the exciting times of finance in which we are living. While you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive by post, check out our new live stream, Tuesday, 1800 hours, London time, 1300 New York time. It's the IPO video live show. Catch the back episodes on LinkedIn and YouTube via IPO-vid. Coming up this Tuesday, the 18th of August, IPO vid live stream 005 will feature Bjorn Sibern. He's the president of NASDAQ in Europe with over a decade of experience at NASDAQ, one of the leading figures in that huge parish exchange group. Prior to his current role as president of European markets, he was executive vice president for Global Information Services based in New York City. He's also previously led NASDAQ global commodity business while serving as president of the NASDAQ Copenhagen Exchange. IPOVID is a live show and we'll be delighted to receive your questions from 7pm Central European Time, 1800 London Time, 1300 Eastern Time. That's on Tuesday the 18th of August and every Tuesday thereafter. You can find us via my LinkedIn profile or on YouTube, IPO-VID. In Cryptoland this week, Binance initially denied a report. It was blocked from installing its CEO on the board of a failing bank it was trying to acquire in Liechtenstein. What then transpired was that, in fact, the Liechtenstein Financial Markets Authority had rejected Binance's application to become a shareholder of the union bank based in Vaduz. I'm minded to wonder if some of Binance's previous actions with small regulators, e.g. Malta, where they were never based, apparently, contrary to widespread perceptions, may have influenced that decision by the Liechtenstein authorities. Elsewhere, in the footsteps of BitMEX, Binance have launched a Bitcoin collateralized 125 times leveraged futures contract. That's the sort of leverage which causes apoplexy amongst regulators such as ESMA. Not unreasonably, I hasten to add. And indeed, it's the sort of behavior which might not work well with regulators elsewhere. Finally, this week in crypto news, China's digital yuan will go live in Hong Kong's Greater Bay Area. Hopefully in the near future, it'll be exciting to see. Product news this week. The new TradeWeb IBA benchmark has been tipped as a competitor to suffer. That'll certainly bring a lot of excitement to the yield curve builders over at TradeWeb and also the good folks of ICE Benchmark Administration. Elsewhere, Deutsche Börse have changed their rules. That means that they can now rapidly kick out Wirecard or other errant companies that have the temerity to go bust while in the German blue chip index, the DAX 30. Having said that, this was an astonishingly elementary failure of oversight on the part of DAX, stocks, and DB1 that they didn't have more coherent rules. In the Middle East, the Saudi Stock Exchange will launch an environmental index with the MSCI. The National Commodity Derivatives Exchange of India, they're betting on the move, recent amendments to farm laws, which will help move agricultural business away from the Mandis to electronically traded spot markets. Over in Singapore, the fight back begins. They've licensed 13 indexes, which will be launched as futures during August and September from FTSE Russell. That's to make up for the MSCI indexes, which were recently acquired from under SGX's nose by the Hong Kong exchanges. SGX are fighting back plaudits again to Michael Sin, the indefatigable head of SGX's derivatives arm. 
couple of fascinating stories in technology this week. First of all, good news for Nasdaq. The vendor, the Dubai Gold and Commodities Exchange, have signed a new technology agreement with Nasdaq. Of course, Dubai Gold and Commodity Exchange's CEO, Les Mel, used to work for Nasdaq many years ago. It's brand continuity, however, in many respects, because, of course, Previously, DGCX were using a platform from Sinober, the Scandinavian vendor, which was acquired by Nasdaq just a year or so back. Elsewhere, antitrust news Ion have been forced to split Broadway Systems, which they acquired recently. They're going to keep the foreign exchange business, but they'll have to sell on the interest rate business. The granularity of this resolution may raise some interesting niche market structure issues in the future. And clearly, ION will not be remotely happy at having to hive off this chunk of business. People News this week, one major move. Hot on the heels of Sha Yan, a former head of the CSRC's Department of Fund and Intermediary Supervision, taking the president position at Shenzhen Stock Exchange, Kai Chung. The CSRC's head of listed company supervision has been appointed as the new president of the Shanghai Stock Exchange. Kaixin is noting, meanwhile, that the former president of the Shanghai Bourse, Zhang Feng, might be moving to an institution affiliated with the Chinese regulator, the CSRC. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 US per user per year or currency equivalent, you can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. And ladies and gentlemen, we have but one other piece of glorious good news to come. A new listing arriving in the US stock markets is always a welcome thing. More importantly, it's actually something built with the DNA of the exchange parish. Airbnb is looking to list on the stock exchange, hoping to file confidential papers in the near future. Another de facto exchange leviathan of e-commerce is going to soon be publicly quoted. See also, of course, my book Victory or Death. And ladies and gentlemen, on that mysterious and magnificent note, thank you for listening to this, the Exchange Invest weekly podcast with me, Patrick L. Young. Have a great week in life and market. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our program, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.